This is an ABC podcast. So Norman, I'm here in Brisbane, but where are you? I'm actually in Singapore, believe it or not. Very pleasant. And how's the weather there? No, wait, I can I can guess. 31 degrees, 90% humidity, sunny outside, might rain this afternoon, like it is every other day of the year. <laughs> You've got it in one. You've got it in one. <laughs> And lots of people wearing masks. Oh, interesting. So last year and a little bit into this year, we had the Dr. Norman Swan Omicronometer of Panic, where 10 was you wearing brown trousers and bicycle clips, but number one was you chilling by the pool with a pina colada. Tell me that's what you're doing in Singapore. I have chilled by the pool as it, as it so happens, but the pina coladas were running short. That's a real shame. So it was a glass of sparkling water. Very boring. <laughs> oh, well, let's crack on with it. Coronacast, a show all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor here on Jagger and Tourable Land. And I'm physician and journalist Dr. Norman Swan coming to you from Singapore on Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. So Norman, let's go back to ground zero for the coronavirus, which was China. It was obviously first detected in Wuhan. And from pretty early in the pandemic, China's had a hardline stance on COVID. But in the last few days, we've seen riots in China, at least partly in response to their COVID zero policy. It's really rattling the Chinese government. It's kind of asking the question, is COVID zero still a sustainable or reasonable goal? Well, the sustainability of it is a political question probably for the Chinese government because they've had the groundswell of resentment is just huge. There was a fire in a province which allegedly people died because the rescue operation couldn't get to the to the site of the fire because of, of restrictions, COVID restrictions. Let's put the epidemiology of COVID in China into some kind of perspective. At the moment, there's a very steep rise going on in daily numbers. And the rolling average as we speak, and we record this coronacast, around 25,000 cases a day. The previous highest peak was in March of this year. Now, if you compare that to Australia, we peaked at 110,000 cases a day back in January of 2022 of this year. So they're peaking at 25,000, that's just about as high as they've ever got. Cumulatively, they've had three and a half million cases, and we've had 10 and a half million cases. But here are the data which are probably making the Chinese worried about letting restrictions relax. There's about 122 million people in China who are unvaccinated. The older you are, the less likely you are to be vaccinated in China, which is almost the opposite, which in fact is the opposite from Australia and most other countries in the world. So if, on the face of it, China has quite good levels of second dose vaccination, up about 89%. But that's down at 67% for people aged over 60, 65. So it's an under-vaccinated group of people with large numbers in the Chinese population who could die as a result of the pandemic being allowed to spread, the virus being allowed to spread. So you haven't had a lot of cases, which means there's not been a lot of exposure to the virus in the community. Therefore, there's very little natural immunity. And there's a serious deficit in vaccine-related immunity, which is better than the natural immunity. So China's in Stuck in terms of this. And according to Stephen McDonnell, who used to be at the ABC and was reporting for the BBC, essentially they have not built an infrastructure or resources in terms of how they're going to move forward, in terms of hospital facilities, ICU beds, that sort of thing, in preparation for relaxing the zero COVID 
policy. The other issue they've got is some of the vaccines they've been using have a lower efficacy than vaccines in the West. So they've been using Chinese vaccines, which are probably round about the AstraZeneca vaccine level, which is significantly lower than the um, mRNA vaccines. Australia kept up with an elimination strategy for a lot longer than many other places did. But the end game for us was always getting to a certain level of vaccination coverage before we reopened, which we did about a year ago. What's the long-term goal for China? It's not at all clear. First of all, Australia did, didn't really have, I know that what you meant, I mean, it didn't, we didn't have an elimination strategy, but we had a zero spread strategy, which was mostly at state level rather than at Commonwealth level. But nonetheless, it's not at all clear what the policy is in China moving beyond that, which I think is what Stephen McDonald's point has been. So there's a couple of things to be said. One is, there has been a peak like this before, and as I said earlier, it was in March of this year, and they got to about 25,000 cases a day, and it went down very, very quickly, which is a response to the zero spread strategy and the lockdown strategy in China. Now it's coming up again, and the question now is, will a lockdown strategy, and it comes to your point earlier, is, is, is it sustainable? So the question now is, will a lockdown strategy at a similar level to March, and it's just the line is just going straight up, will it bring it down as quickly as, they, as it did in March? Now, if you've got civil disobedience, then the Chinese problem is that the lockdown won't work as well, and it will go on for longer. So they might be able to bring it back down to zero, but it might take them longer. And the wider that curve becomes, the longer that peak takes to come down, the more Chinese people are infected and the more unvaccinated or undervaccinated people are infected and the more people who will end up in hospital, clogging Chinese hospitals, clogging their ICUs. They, they don't have a high rate of ICUs for population compared to other countries and, and dying. So there is a serious problem confronting the Chinese government regardless of what their policy is for opening up. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about such a hugely massive population compared to Australia. When you were comparing case numbers before or people vaccinated or unvaccinated before, you're talking in the millions. The, the country's population is 1.4 billion. That's right. And, there, and relatively few Chinese people have been infected. 3.5 million compared to 10.6 million Australians. I mean, that's... Yeah, it's a tiny fraction. So the potential for massive infection rates are there, which is why they're presumably terrified. But with civil disobedience that curve may not come down as quickly as they'd like and large numbers of people will be infected and you'll have more civil disobedience as more people die unnecessarily. I mean, it sounds like it's it's a bit of a pickle no matter which way you cut it. Is it because of the COVID zero policy that they're facing this or is this just part of what every country's had to deal with uh, when it's coming to reopening? China has got a unique problem. In terms of number of cases, they've been dramatically successful. I mean, tiny, tiny numbers of cases. But they haven't used the time productively is really the main criticism. So they haven't used it to vaccinate their most vulnerable population. They haven't used it to probably increase the supply as enough of higher performing vaccines, which they do have access to. And therefore, they're in a, they're in a serious pickle. Has it been caused by their, their prolonged lockdown? Well, it's just that their prolonged lockdown was unnecessarily prolonged because they didn't actually have an opening up policy. And uh, rather than deal with the weaknesses, they've just 
dealt with it by going back into lockdown again and again and again. And that is unsustainable. That has been the thing with COVID, hasn't it? It's always had to be a multi-pronged approach to actually have any success. So you've got to have, I mean, vaccination isn't, isn't enough by itself. ICU numbers aren't enough by itself. Lockdowns aren't enough by itself. We've talked a lot about ventilation and how important that is as well. You need all of these things working in concert to have any sort of meaningful effect. That's right. It's a broad base to this approach. And when it's too narrow, then you're very, very vulnerable. So let's talk about here in a little Australia with our little population in comparison. We we keep talking about this maybe shortish, maybe flattish wave that we're currently in. What are the numbers telling us at the moment? Well, the rate of increase seems to be declining. That's in the number of cases. Um, remember, that's an inaccurate number because people aren't getting tested and it's rat testing, which has its flaws. Hospitalizations are going up by a similar rate to cases. The interesting statistic, which we haven't spoken about for a while, is that there are nearly 600 outbreaks at the moment in residential aged care. At least that's for the last reporting period. Uh, we're, we're probably a few days out of date with that in terms of an update from the Commonwealth. In 2022, we've never gone below 220 outbreaks at any one point in time in uh, residential aged care. Just think about that. We've never gone below that number. And that lowest number was in early October. It's been higher than that all year. And now it's back on the way up. So the most vulnerable groups in the population are experiencing significant outbreaks. So, I mean, when we were talking about outbreaks, we're talking about acute illnesses, but there's even more information coming out again about what COVID does in the body longer term as well. This is a paper published in the Medical Journal of Australia on Monday. And it, the senior authors are Brett Sutton and Alan Cheng, professors Brett Sutton and Alan Cheng. And it looks at Victorian data and it's pre-vaccination. So it looks at the effect of acute COVID-19 in a relatively unvaccinated population. So in a sense, it's a pure study of the impact of COVID-19 when you get it on deaths. And they were particularly looking at people who were infected with COVID-19, hospitalised within three months of a COVID-19 infection. And what they showed was that the hospitalisation rates were higher than a comparative period pre-COVID-19 for a whole host of conditions, myocarditis, pericarditis, reduced platelets in your blood called thrombocytopenia, a clot in the lung called pulmonary embolism, myocardial infarction, in other words, heart attack, that was four times higher. Stroke was about 2.3 times higher. So what they're showing is that in a three-month period, post-COVID-19 infection, significantly higher rates of these non-respiratory complications of COVID-19. Another good reason to be vaccinated, to reduce the impact of these complications as much as possible, but it shows that COVID-19 does increase the risk of these extraneous effects. So the people in this study were people who caught COVID before they'd had the chance to be vaccinated. It's people from like 2020. What do we know since then about how protective vaccination is against things like heart disease, stroke that we're seeing in this study? Essentially, what we know for sure is that vaccination reduces your chances of getting into hospital significantly. The people who are at most risk of these side effects are people who are hospitalised. It's kind of a circular argument. So you're less likely to go into hospital, so therefore you've got a lower risk of these other complications. But vaccination doesn't eliminate it altogether. So the, the risk of serious complications such as these are around about 1% or 2% of people who are 
vaccinated. And it's hard to know exactly what it is with an unvaccinated population, but there's no doubt it is reduced but it doesn't reduce it to zero. I feel like I'm asking you lots of questions today, Norman. I'd better let the audience ask you some again in the next couple of weeks. Of course, if you have questions, the way to send them into us is by going to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you next time. See you then. 